Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Otari-Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who regularly gets heckled off of balconies. It's like part of his normal life. <laughs> I wish that were true. Like, I wish I were you? on enough balconies yelling at crowds to be regularly heckled off of them. See, here's what I would argue. Uh, You've only missed one step in your life. You need to buy slash rent a house with a clearly defined a balcony. balcony. That's, because you can make this happen fair. immediately. You can that's, better believe that true. people in Columbus will start heckling you. I've got a, if you're out on that balcony in your bathrobe, just I got a roof on my porch. I could climb out the window right now and start yelling. I mean, at well, but to that make would... it about, I really feel like you need some sort of perimeter. <laughs> so you put a like a little like cheapo fence you get from <laughs> like fence. Home Depot up there, <laughs> and you're good to go, man. You you lean up against that a little bit. Be careful because you did install it yourself. Yeah, on yeah. a pretty old roof. Um, so you know, don't like. With a raccoon living in it. Right, like, so don't like... don't go full Hitler in yeah. your, like, <laughs> leaning on the rail, right. screaming at people. Um, That's fair. I mean, as a general rule, don't go full Hitler ever uh, about Period. anything. Yeah, but even but even in speaking rhetoric, probably not Not, do not that safe either. at this point. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to, like, you don't want to use any of those body or hand motions. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just start yelling at people. Well, not even at people. I mean, it's very important to be very generic. And be yelling at what is a, is an assumed soon to arrive crowd. Well, I've got to I've got to be yelling about reinstating the emperor, which is really going to get me heckled pretty. Right, quickly. yeah, you're gonna have a lot of explaining Ohio, so. to do, a lot of setup material. Right. You're gonna have to do a lot right. of crowd work to even get to that point. Um, I just like the I, most of the heckling is going to be what are you talking yeah, about? I just like the because it's very there's a very fine line because if you seems like you're directly attacking or talking at a single person who's driving by or walking, <laughs> that's just not nice. Like, you're just being an asshole. You need right, to be addressing right. a crowd that just hasn't arrived. Perfect. Keep in Perfect. mind, the emperor is still the emperor. We just got a new one. <laughs> um, <laughs> hasn't stopped being the emperor. Well, I mean, the current emperor just became the emperor. But is is generally air quotes regarded as the longest continuing imperial line in the history in history right like in right. modern history it's not listen it's not about reinstating the emperor it's about making the emperor god again right so. which is a problem because well i mean there's lots of problems involved there but like <laughs> right like obviously i i boy we, there's so much to unpack this is going to take do I, are we okay with a 3 hour episode is that <laughs> Fine. Cons considering on our current timeline, that would mean you going to bed at 6 a.m. Maybe we shouldn't do that. If but... you think I can't complain about <laughs> Japanese nationalists until 6 a.m., you have another thing coming, bub. I mean, it, it might be apropos to do it until the sun rises.
Uh, Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. Over there for a dollar a month, you get access to a monthly bonus episode. It's a non-criterion film. You get to vote on what we're going to watch. Uh, if you suggest a poll or a movie... It'll probably get put on the list too. Because I mean, unless it's based on work which there. will not happen at that point. Like, yeah, it's... yeah, uh, we are definitely we are definitely not going one one because the only Mishima directed work we'll be watching next right. week uh, for the actual podcast. But also, we don't want to think about Mishima again, so uh, so we won't be doing a Mishima inspired list <laughs> yeah. for this month. I apologize. Also, I think this episode comes out in December, so probably <laughs> this, not. A, this comes out. 2022 yeah just not gonna happen um anyway uh dollar a month like i said uh we watch a pretty interesting list of movies over there we've watched uh louis miles god's country we've watched uh dog day afternoon we've watched ernest goes to camp we've watched uh Ready Player One and and, uh the Americanization of Emily just uh, really all over real wide wide variety huh yeah yeah it's a it's a good selection of movies i really enjoy what we do over there it's uh it lets us you know kind of but not really choose what we're going to watch i mean it certainly lets me watch a movie that is not it is often a break number one very few of those movies are not in english which like i've turned slowly into the a person i used to hate which is like (laughs) sometimes like when you watch sometimes many, you just want to relax man like as when you watch as many subtitled movies as we do it's sometimes you're like yeah. oh thank god i can just like look away i can yeah. like go like pet the dog and like still know what's going on like you know <laughs> it's great it's great uh but yeah that's a dollar a month also on every vote list the uh, fifth option is always Kazam the 19 19- 96 children's movie about a genie starring Shaquille O'Neal and it is they've made us watch it once and you should join and make us watch it yeah more. I mean it's that's really always fun, an option actually. um I'm frankly yeah. looking forward to it because I really I can't admit to myself that I kind of just want to watch it again yeah yeah uh, but I, I want to watch it again because I really really want to reevaluate the the whole sort of end sequence the last third oh, yeah. of the movie yeah. I feel like last time a lot happens in the last third of the movie and it's true. I don't think I took it all in entirely. Yeah. And I kind of want to, you got to watch it multiple times to really get it. Yeah. Right. So I also keep thinking uh, about Richie rich a lot, or is that what the name of that movie was? Uh, no, no. Uh, um, I mean, there, there is a movie. Richie no, but rich. what did we watch? Um, we watched the, um, did we watch Richie rich? Is that what it's called? No, no. What was uh, that one about the rich mean- kid? Who bought the? You're thinking of blank check. Blank check. Sorry, it's it's yes. all it all blend, blends together. There's apparently a Netflix. Yeah. There's like a Richie Rich remake thing, live action thing on Netflix, and my children were watching it for a while. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. It's 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 bourgeois values. Got to it's keep them instated. You know, we'll we'll talk much. We'll talk later when we get to the actual episode about the the dangers of capitalist influence in. Uh, in Japan and how you should rightly react to that instead of wrongly react to that, I think is really how we need to go with that conversation. Oh yeah. But this anyway. is going to be really interesting. Um, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, no, um, like I said, that's the, the $1, uh, little above that $5 and above. We'd like to thank those people on air for somebody who wants to give us a little more money, but not commit too much and get a little something. Um, 
But uh, we actually don't have anybody at that tier right now. Uh, we did have quite a number of people at that tier, but they all popped up to $10, and we're very grateful for that. At $10 and above, we do something that is pretty special, I think well worth the money. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently, and I get uh, that printed up on a postcard, write a little note, and get that mount off. So if you like bespoke art, you like personalized notes, you like supporting your postal system, uh, all three, uh, and you get to support us to $10 a month. Uh, and uh, I enjoy doing it. So yeah, you know, no, I mean, I really, I, I really, it's all very. I really appreciate the people. Up there. I mean, I think to um, myself, you know, I, I, it's actually really meaningful that I have a reason to do anything artistic in my life. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's not yeah. very good, <laughs> like it makes me feel I, good. Listen, most of them are very good. Some of them are I really have enjoyed. Some of them are terrifying. Yeah, it's true. But the terrifying ones are also very good. The terrifying ones uh, are secretly my favorites, but whatever. Yeah. We do also like to thank the $10 and above people on air. So thank you to Adam Spickerman, to Jason Westhaver, Jonathan Haight, Patrick Yako, Charlie Mueller, Christopher Otto, and Michael McGrath. Everybody supporting us at $10 or above right now. Yeah, we really appreciate uh, it. This week... Uh, we're talking about a uh, biopic of a Japanese national, uh, the writer uh, working under the pen name Yukio Mishima. Uh, this movie is made by Paul Schrader. Uh, Paul Schrader was the screenwriter for Taxi Driver for The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, he adapted that from a, from a, from a novel. Um, he last year made, uh, or maybe two years ago at this point, made uh, First Reformed, which is one of my favorite movies I've seen recently. Um, but I think maybe just because I like everything it's referencing. Right. Uh, First Reformed is a, a an homage and cribs a lot from movies like Winter's Light or Debt, uh, Diary of a Country Priest, and synthesizes those into a, uh, a new narrative that... I think it's done really well. Uh, by happenstance, I saw my second Paul Schrader directed movie last week. Uh, I have I have a sort of random roomy, uh, movie night, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily a bad movie night, but a random movie night with some friends on Sunday nights. And the guy who programs that happened to pick Paul Schrader's 1997 film Touch, okay. uh, which is terrible. What Don't is watch it. it. Like it's, I've never uh, even heard of it. It is. It is a religious comedy. Oh my um, lord! But also, it's like four different movies. Uh, a a man who gets stigmata and can heal people uh, falls in love with Bridget Fonda, uh, who has only been introduced to him uh, through machinations of a televangelist played by uh, <laughs> Christopher Walken. Jeez. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Walken is working with a uh, trad Catholic uh, anti-Vatican II uh, uh, activist come terrorist uh, who is played by Tom Arnold, who is the only person in this movie who realizes he's in a comedy. Um, And it's... (laughs) I would like to point... Like, you can't see this in the it is podcast, but I've basically just been shaking yeah. my head the entire time. <laughs> it is thematically and tonally one of the weirdest movies I have seen in years, and it's 
It's just, it's very bad. It's very bad. I will, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know a lot about Paul Schrader, but kind of looking yeah. at what I'm seeing here, one has to wonder if somebody sort of <laughs> accidentally fell into... Schrader, all of that to say Schrader's an interesting character. This is a movie that is generally considered to be one of his masterpieces i suppose and and up until uh first reformed came out it was his best most well-regarded work and i and uh, i let's as, be very clear i understand it i i understand why that is yeah. like on a really basic filmmaking level yeah. if this weren't about who it were about well, it would be a different movie obviously that's you know whatever right. but like in a pure filmmaking standpoint this is a very interestingly crafted film right a thing that i do want to say because of that or that i want that i want to say here at the beginning because i will spend the rest of this podcast being very angry <laughs> yes yes so you gotta gotta get the compliment out of the way like, it <laughs> so. is even though it it regards a topic which i find completely I I, yeah. I I struggle for words. I find a topic that right. is antithetical to me as a person. Yeah, I will admit wholeheartedly that the movie is extremely well crafted, which yeah. is in itself, I suppose, a disservice to humanity. <laughs> See, it's it's interesting that you viscerally hate this movie. Uh, this movie has never been shown in Japan mm-hmm. because one. Mishima is, as I understand it, persona non grata uh, in Japanese uh, mainstream culture. Uh, yeah, I mean, although, like, as much as you can say that because Japanese mainstream culture and ultranationalism, right-wing ultranationalism, is a functional part of Japanese right. mainstream culture. Right, right, like, right. You just, you can't be as over, it, it can't. You're you're like well, the weirdo with the microphone on the side of the street if you are just too much about it. Right. The flip side of that is that this movie has never been shown unedited in Japan because the ultranationalists and Mishima fans would probably uh, who burn the theater down. Support yeah. the movie will burn the theater down for its portrayal of Mishima as a uh, experimenting experimenting sexually. So to speak. Well, which is, uh, I mean, which is interesting because, like, I mean, again, I, uh, there's so much to unpack. This is going to be so, uh, right, right. There's, there's that. There's part. homosexual undertones. And when it gets a little more overt, that the dance, um, the nightclub scene is actually edited out the only times this has been played on Japanese right. television. It has never been released on home media in Japan. Right. Uh, it really wasn't released, uh, in the U.S. until Criterion did it. Um, it was made with, uh, basically, Mishima's widow uh, was actively involved in crafting the story, um, but also in uh, pressured the financers to to pull out. Um, it was trying to sue over over that actual stuff, you know, despite the fact that her as a character never exists in the narrative at all, um, did refuse uh, one story that has more overt homosexual 
uh, uh, subtext in it, if not over text. I've never read it. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the, the uh, yeah. But but one that Schrader had wanted to use, but but she would not allow it to be used because of how he was going to frame it. Um, which of course, you know, it's it's by him, right? Yeah. <laughs> And and his his entire mo was living the life that he wrote about. So like you know, right. arguing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but that, like his wife, like I don't know nearly right. anything about her except for what you read in sort of right information about. But that the impression I get is that like, and and the one you would get from like a lot of the sort of widows of these sorts of celebrities is yeah. she lives and dies by his reputation in certain ways right like yeah um so yeah yeah. uh production at one point almost moved to britain or the u.s uh because it was being threatened so often Mm. the studio was was being threatened uh the original star of the movie uh ken takakara uh dropped out because he was getting death threats um uh and is replaced by uh uh, Ken Ogata here. Uh, so yeah, it was <laughs> much much like a former uh, Schrader work that we've talked about in the past, uh, Last Temptation of Christ, um, though for vastly different reasons, but both uh, both because of right wing radicals. Um, yeah, I mean they're vastly different in sort of the the, <laughs> the flavor and texture, but it's still the same. Right, right, same but not thing. in the actual action. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose uh, in, in one difference, um, no one actually burned a theater to keep Mishima from being <laughs> shown. I mean, Whereas, but would they have? Good absolutely. question. Um, yeah. Fairly likely the answer to that is yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it is... It is not. I, I have. I didn't read a lot of the background of the movie. I spent. I. I yeah. always appreciate, and this, appreciate is is in in scare quotes here. Movies that make me read the worst Wikipedia pages on earth. <laughs> uh, I. Mishima's Wikipedia page reads like the Wikipedia pages of a lot of people, for example, in the right wing sphere, as in yeah. it is almost illegible um it is it is very clearly the work of as far as okay this is i'm going to take some leaps here because i don't i can't prove it uh it's very clearly the work of there's a okay oh boy there's a subset of japanese film and specifically especially anime fans who are also japanese ultranationalists who are not japanese yeah. This is a thing. It is the, one of the strangest things that I've ever encountered in my life. It was not a thing I was super aware of until a couple of years ago. Uh and uh because it's a thing you can generally just sort of avoid if you run in if you right. avoid certain circles of human beings. Uh but some of the people I follow on the internet who write about sort of very um leftist uh topics in Japan uh will so often have to interact with these people that it comes up and I end up learning things I don't want to know. Um, it's very clearly the work of these kind of people in that it is it, the Wikipedia page is 
I'm going to go out on a limb and say seven times longer than it should be. Oh, yeah. It re- it duplicates the same work multiple times in different locations under different headers because clearly the whoever's editing it, the people who are editing it are wildly out of control. Um, yeah. And, and I ended up reading the whole thing, which is – uh, it was painful because oh, uh, there's so much going on there. But like, um, number one, you can't. Here's the thing: certain pages are close to editing because, for example, pages about the rape of Nan King are locked yeah. because yeah, it, the the discourse there could never be controlled. So are now only people who can prove legitimate authority on that topic are allowed to edit it in any way. And it's pretty much frozen because everybody considers it kind of a done deal. Um, yeah. But since they peop- there's a certain group of people who, since they can't edit those pages, seem to sort of find their way on these sort of ancillary right-wing figure pages and things like that and, and have what one might call some sort of textual orgasm. Pat, I had a similar experience this week because in trying to figure out uh, which version of this movie on the DVD I should watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because there's no there's no visual difference between any of the three different cuts right. we have, plus one with uh, director's commentary. Um, the difference is that the regular one, I suppose, regular, has narration done by the same actor playing our main character. Right. It's all the same narration, as I understand it. But then there's the original theatrical release that has still nothing dubbed, but the narration is done in English by actor Roy Schneider. Uh, And then there is a third version that exists seemingly as a mistake that the original U.S. release, which was non-Criterion, there was an earlier release than the Criterion DVD, um, but I, I feel like 2006, so not much earlier. Mm. Um, that release had audio com- had, had the narration done by uh, a photographer, and I'm not sure if it was... Uh, I can't remember the man's name, and I don't know if he was associated with the production elsewise, uh, and was mistakenly included on the 2006 DVD release instead of Schneider's English narration. Uh, but because it exists, Criterion put it on there. And everyone generally just describes it as a a manufacturing error. But, like, what? Why would you the go, man didn't well, record I mean, like, it I as a manufacturing you have like error. A penny with so, two faces on it, you're like, well, fuck it, throw it in there. I don't know. Right? But, but like, how did he accidentally record two hours of narration, Pat? That's not, that's not a thing what? that happened. I don't know. So, I don't, I mean, who knows, man? Like, so anyway. Or, or maybe. It's always the possibility that it's like, I mean, like, obviously they say it's a manufacturing error, but it also could have been, I guess, a rights issue. Yeah. Maybe they couldn't, like, right. the Roy Snyder one was, like, not included in the rights yeah. or something. And so you're like, I don't know. oh, shit, we could only know. get the Japanese release, so we had to re-record the audio <laughs> commentary with some rando. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in in trying to answer the question of which one I should watch before I knew what the actual differences right. were and that they weren't anything, uh, 
I I turned to our good friends on Reddit, and I never go to Reddit directly. I always use Google to search Reddit. Right, which is um, the right way to do it because otherwise you'll yeah, you'll drown. Because I don't I don't want to spend time on Reddit. Um, so uh, so so I googled searching Reddit for information on which which version of this movie to watch, and instead found r slash Yukio. Mishima. Oh dear lord. A subreddit dedicated to the man. See, this is what I'm I can I make an <laughs> assumption? Yeah. Yeah. All of the posts are in English? Oh, they sure are, Pat. Right. So you There's... found the same community I was describing, yeah. which is yeah. non-Japanese people <laughs> who are big fans of Japan but have I guess but have a have adopted a persona of Japanese ultra nationalists. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um I have seen so many Twitter fights with these people because yeah. they will they like to fly into the mentions and the uh and replies of people who post oh, about yeah. socialist and leftist issues oh, in yeah. Japan because a lot of those people will double post in English and in Japanese to make it extra comprehensible and try to like let people know about what's going on in Japan. Um what will end up happening is they will be roundly attacked by these people who are like, no, there's no such thing as politics in Japan. It's like, it's crazy yeah. shit. So, so two posts of note that I will call attention to okay. without cool naming directly. Um, one, because I don't have this information directly in front of me. And two, why would I name someone's Reddit handle on this so that you can go do whatever? I uh, yeah, know. no, it's yeah. Uh, I already gave you the name of the subreddit. You'll Explore find it them. yourself. Yeah, you'll you'll don't, figure it out. Please don't go in there. Don't actually do like, that. Like you know, just unplug um, your computer anyway. and throw it out the window instead. Yeah, like yeah. if you have a desire. So, so one in particular on the movie, someone asked uh, uh, if it how they should watch. How was the question actually? The post was that they were just getting into uh, Mishima. Um. And we're wondering if they should watch the movie first or read the books. And the first response was, "You can watch the movie, but just remember, he's not our Mishima in the movie. That's not that's not our Mishima in the movie. And our Mishima is is his phrasing. That's why I right. I use yeah, it. I figured. No matter how much I'm pa- paraphrasing the rest of the sentence, our Mishima is what stuck out. Um, and then uh, the. Other one was a repost from uh, from Ask a Historian, a subreddit yeah. where you can ask a historian. And, um, and I'm sure these people got to that because when I clicked through, comments on the Ask a Historian post of this question had been deleted and locked. Yeah. Yep. That's, that, that's uh, this group's MO, this group of people. Yeah, but the, the question was... Uh, over the course of four paragraphs, a self-described leftist said, uh, "I'm generally left a leftist, but a lot of Mishima's uh, Mishima's political ideals appeal to me. Was he really as fascist as everyone says he was?" And it was a leading question. Like this guy's not really a leftist. He, he doesn't even think of himself as a leftist. This was written by one of the people, right? <laughs> you of know, course. Right? Yeah. I mean, yes. Obviously, you know, everything on Reddit is an ex- adventure in creative writing, <laughs> right. not uh, not an actual exploration of any sort of fact. 
Um, but, uh, <laughs> but the first response to that, to the post through of that on, on the Mishima subreddit was, hell yeah, he's a fascist. <laughs> and like, I'm done with you. Yeah. <laughs> why am I here? Why, why did I get, at least it's right. accurate. Yeah. Uh, no. That's why we like him yeah. is, is what it said. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, uh, I feel I want to read this movie as graciously as possible. Okay, to Schrader. I don't think that's right. a good idea, but continue. I don't know that it's a good idea, but I feel like Schrader is is doing a couple of things here um, from from an ideological standpoint. Okay. One, he's wanting to explain Mishima, right? Okay. Sure, uh, and in that that manner, perhaps explain Mishima away, but explain Mishima. Period. Um, show show the biographical details: the uh, overbearing grandmother who kidnapped him away from his mom, the uh, uh, closeted homosexual feelings, uh, the sudden adult belief that he needed to be, become a big strong man to overcome his weaknesses as a child and his mama's boyness as right. a child. Um, that all of this is meant to explain his fascistic nationalistic. Right. Leanings. Yeah. And I, and I, right. I don't think you're wrong about that. Yeah. The other thing I think that he's trying to do and, um, and the criterion essay probably, uh, I think frames it like this too. Um, I was very tired when I read the essay, so I could be borrowing more heavily from it than I'm acknowledging, and I apologize if I am. Uh, but the other aspect of it, yeah, the Criterion essay puts it puts it in a comparison and contrast to uh, Oscar Wilde of all people as someone who wanted to create art to cre- to make their life into a work of art okay right and that's you know schrader gets into that in the movie right with some of the narration talking about the synthesis of the pen and the sword right, right. um and and even overtly saying making making his life into a work of art um and there's a lot of different ways to take that. And the the essayist um, actually, I think, uh, uh, says that uh, Wilde was not dedicated enough to actually make that idea come true. <laughs> that he was he was too wow uh, too easily distracted by like pithy statements. I think is is how he words it. Wow, <laughs> the essayist. Um, but uh, but Mishima. Um, and there's a lot of ways to take the concept of a work of art here too, right? Uh, but, but what Mishima seems to have done in at least how Schrader portrays him, um, and whether or not that's true to life, I don't care to find out. Um, (laughs) but what Mishima has done is, uh, begun writing as a, a sort of escapism wish fulfillment of what he could be. And then decided to make himself into this character that he has written. Not that he's been writing one single character, but but right. the like ideological the, underpinning yeah, of everything. 
everything that he's right. So he wants to become a work of art in that he wants to uh, become this thing that he has created. But also he wants to become a work of art in that he wants to become a thing that inspires other people, right? Right, that his right. His death and, becomes and definitely a talks performance about that action, the, yeah. right? Yeah. That his, yeah, his death is not just him committing suicide because his work is done or has failed or uh, he doesn't, he... He thinks his death will make his work come true. Right. Well, I mean, um, he's. I mean, he's. I mean, yeah. I mean, obsessed and at with that an point, ideological, like an ideology right. of death. But whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Is what and, we're and, actually. And by down that to. point, that by by that point of time, he's deluded enough to think that this <laughs> this all is going to work in the way right. he wants it to work. Right. Right. Um, you know where, which is where the. You know, the as as I understand it, true to life, uh, military mocking him as he delivers that speech yeah. on the balcony is pretty great. Um, you know, uh, one thing this movie doesn't play true to life, and uh, Ebert's review actually thanks Schrader for not doing it true to life, is the actual uh, seppuku sequence. See, I um, I disagree with Ebert's interpretation <laughs> of that. Um, right. If Ebert wanted to really, really make this, or not Ebert, shit. If Schrader wanted to really, yeah, really make this. Now, okay, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you on this, but I've been thinking no, about this Omi's. a lot. If Schrader really wanted to make this a movie where he evaluates Mishima in the context of his own world and what his ideology really represents, having his second fail miserably to remove his head. Oh yeah. Is kind of the most beautiful part of the story. Right. You've mm-hmm. created this ideology of death where this is the ultimate expression of Japaneseness and then the person you've been training for like a year can't fucking do it because it's <laughs> right. all horseshit all the way Absolutely. down. Absolutely. You're yeah. not a samurai. No. And samurai weren't what you thought they were anyway. <laughs> right. And I completely agree with you. Uh, I think uh, uh, Ebert's praise of that was less ideological and more that he just didn't, didn't want, want to, to see two gruesome half-beheadings. Yeah, I get it. Right. But you could right. do it. I mean, you could have the yeah. guy, like, you could just have a, like, blood splattering on a guy's <laughs> face as he keeps swinging over right. and over and over again. Right, right. And, like, right. say to himself stuff like, why would you fucking come off or something like that. Like, I mean, you could do it without showing the thing and still have it be really gross and really obvious just how fucking stupid it all is. And at that at that point the movie's farce anyway, right? The the entire last sequence of this movie is him becoming farce. Right. Absolutely. So, well, like, what what it is is his farce becoming manifest, right? right? Like it's all right, been right, bullshit. Right. right. From day of 1, it's just that now when you really try to put it into reality, the bullshit in daylight just looks like so much <laughs> bullshit right and it would help right. that it would help that because schrader uh, unfortunately does kind of give him it's sort of the screaming face works in schrader's favor uh because yeah. it is silly uh but 
it's not I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's good enough. But then again, I would like this entire thing to be more like a Monty Python sketch of like <laughs> right. Mr. Hilter right. or whatever, right. right? Like that's what yeah. I would like this yeah. to be because to my to me ideologically and mentally, that's what this person actually is. Right. Um my problem with Schrader's work here is that it fits into an archetype that I find troublesome, which is not necessarily the humanization of people who were bad. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But, right. like, there is a there is a thing that exists in American and and European, specifically British, I'm thinking of, but, like, culture where, like, everybody's kind of okay with admiring the art of of bad people so long as they're not bad people from their own country um yeah i speak i say this specifically because for example apparently david bowie had a painting of mishima <laughs> in his mansion <laughs> which is just such a weird fu- okay well that's what i'm talking about the yeah. wikipedia page is word vomit um yeah <laughs> and has a lot of repeated information a lot of garbage in it also yeah. the citations are just trash uh but um my point being that like what i mean is is that david bowie didn't just have one he supposedly painted, painted his himself own. which yeah. which unless it is farcical as well which i don't think it would be it it goes to this thing where like we talked about this with like Salvador Dali and and Spain and yeah. There's yeah. this thing where it's like, oh well, I want to separate the art and the artist, which a is always bad. I I as we've done this podcast, I have come to the for, sort of personal final conclusion that that is a bad impetus <laughs> and you should not right. do it. And that right. doing it is only essentially allowing fascism to flourish. You are you. Everybody who participates in that sort of self delusion is a is a tiny little, itty bitty functionary in the fascist machine. Right. Um. And or or whatever evil. It may not be fascism. It may be pedophilia or something like that. Like either way, you are complicit in the tiniest little way you're complicit in it. Um, But and I I don't think like I said, I don't think Schrader's a bad guy or something for it. But like he's he is a part of that structure that allows a person who is a bad person to become internationally famous. And by well, I mean, listen, to be fair, in his lifetime. Mishima was internationally famous. I, I, I'm describing right, him but. as a functionary in a complex. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. of 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 allowing these things. I understand that Paul, that Schrader has nothing to do with Mishima becoming famous. Okay, <laughs> right. But what I'm saying is, is he is a in that way he is a an expression of that same impetus. Where right. it's like, oh well, like I mean, his work is still beautiful, kind of thing. Like. Oh, he, you know, and like Mishima is a fairly low level example of this because he didn't murder people or something. But like, nonetheless, like, it's like, it's the only person that seems to be 
uh, that seems to be immune from this is the paintings of Hitler. <laughs> Anybody right. one step below that. Right. Hitler as an artist. Yeah. Anybody one step below that, you can do that with. You can be like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I separate the wor- the artist and the art. And, and, and I think his right. work is really beautiful. Never mind the fact that from every – again, I have not read Mishima. I will – never read Mishima because I value my time uh, <laughs> but I have read enough synopses now that it make they make me I'm depressed and I really didn't want to even do this episode um, his obsession with those ideological principles very clearly bleeds into his work like yeah. hard um, so you're left with this thing. It's like, okay, but how? How do you how do you pull those two things apart and why would you want to? Are we assuming there's just not enough good artists in the world who don't have bad ideas? Right. Is that am I led to believe that like and then what oh sorry Adam, this is gonna be this kind of episode. Then what you yeah. realize then as you start to analyze that is it's not that he is a he might be talented. But that what it really is a manifestation of is the sort of things that allow somebody to become a famous, important artist. If you look at his yeah. life, there is nothing that this man accomplishes that are not is not a function of his already exi- extant place in society. He is among the elite from the moment he is born. Yeah, he is the daughter of, or he's the son of a, or the grandson of a daughter. Of like an important functionary in the major major restoration, it's like right. all this stuff, like directly connected to the imperial line, all this stuff. That when you wonder, is like you're like, oh, like yeah, maybe he's talented, what? But like, would he be this person, this famous person, had he not essentially had these opportunities handed to him via his role in his place in society? Right. Schrader also contains an early scene of him as a young man uh, where he's called out for being a hack, right? Right. You know, uh, and and the only resolve to that is his mother saying, oh, don't, don't, don't let anyone see that. They might believe it. Right. <laughs> and like, like, like they never actually function to say he's not a hack. We do get a portrayal of four three three principally but arguably four because we see the parts of patriotism while it's being filmed Mm. um uh we get four pieces of his work uh presented to us and and very well i think i I mean again that's sort of what i was talking about how beautiful is is very interesting um the way the way the different stories that this movie is telling are separated from color black and white to this really overbearing color that's you know each one has its own two color primary scheme right, right. the golden pavilion is green and gold and the kiko's house is like pink and uh, uh yellow i think or right. pink and orange i think and then the last one is is orange and uh i can't even remember anyway but they've all got like like a two color palette schemes, system yeah. right um that they're based upon and they're all they're all very interestingly done through schrader um i don't know if they're interesting as short pieces themselves uh obviously they're getting hyper condensed 
to put three short stories <laughs> adaptations into a single movie that isn't even about that. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not just a feature of an anthology of these stories. Right. right? I mean, it's trying to provide um, a sort of contextual, like, otherwise right, your right. audience is just watching a thing with no reference, frame of reference to yeah. the works. That but also seeking out, seeking out specific works that reflect what Schrader is trying to interpret Mishima as. Right. Right. Uh, there are conscious decisions into mm, all of that. For sure. Um, so this this first one about uh, a stuttering young man ostracized from the world who sees this one big beautiful thing that everyone loves and has to destroy it and in his decision to destroy it concert conquers his stuttering. Not actually in doing it. He still goes on to do it. Right. But it's his decision to do it that... <laughs> that conquers his stuttering. And the second one is about a self-obsessed guy who decides he needs to start bodybuilding uh, and in order to protect his mother uh, enters into a sadomasochistic right. uh, suicidal Romeo-Juliet thing with an older woman. Um, and then the, the third one is the most overt, right? The third one's about a member of the military who right. decides to commit a coup despite the fact that the authorities tell him that's a bad idea right? <laughs> and then commits, commits suicide at the end. Right. So, you know, obviously they've all made conscious choices and I can't, I also can't speak to his actual writing. And even if I had read him, I'd have read him in translation, which is its own, different thing right but you keep know, in mind like, that most of the commentators that you would interact with would also have read it in that format right, uh, right, I, right. I, that's not necessarily bad one you know he yeah that's a that's but, the way that works but translation is itself is a, a creative political act. Yeah, game absolutely yeah. right and is a creative act yeah so so to understand a translation you have to also taken uh, the translators aren't blank canvases right absolutely you have to right. take them into account too particularly particularly in creative work right um right i mean so yeah it, it is it is yeah i mean i i knew i yeah i see where you're going like what you're talking about and, and like what i where i was and I, the reason why this is this is going to be such a painfully difficult episode is that no matter how you, this, other than the ending of this movie, in general, it does feel kind of like a love letter to Mishima in a sort of right. way. Like it's, I mean, I think Paul Schrader is trying to argue things about his latent homosexuality and things like that that are, that may or may not be appropriate for Schrader to even be trying to bring up or not. Um, yeah. It, but. And that it, that itself becomes a thing Absolutely. because because uh, in in 2014 uh, the uh, Castro District in San Francisco has started its own Walk of Fame for uh, uh, exemplary uh, people in their field who are members of the LGBTQ uh, community. Yes, exactly. And, and Mishima has a whatever the equivalent of a star on that walk right. of fame and that, is. Like, that's right? like, that is a hallmark of, oh, we'll just separate the art and the artist, or we've decided to just ignore right. the context of this art completely. Right. Like, right. It's like, what 
doing? <laughs> yeah. Why are you doing these things? You're telling me that the best writer you could find to put on your walk of fame is a guy who was an an outspoken, very clear fascist. Right. And and to be who I wrote mean, pretty listen, for for certain communities you gotta take what you can take right but, I do, but like, <laughs> on the same, I, I refuse to believe right. that the LGBTQ community the best they could find is Mishima right right even even if we're just uh, uh, relegating ourselves to to closeted people um, I think we can right, find I'm a pretty sure wide swap better of better better artists who. Right. Yeah. It it's like and like and and so what I've decided is like you you got to like, you know, considering the sort of choices I've made and stuff like that with this, it's like you ha- no longer does the quality of his work even have any bearing in the things I talk right. about. Right. Right. He could right. be right. the best writer in the history of fucking mankind. And it and he still doesn't change and he's, anything. He still got high on his own supply. Yeah, and and died doing a very bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. He, and and that that is even more so than say J.K. Rowling saying transphobic things. Right. J.K. Rowling's transphobia is not necessarily intrinsic to her writing. It, <laughs> she's made it more so in right. some manner. Although, although but, to be fair, the thing we've sort of talked about is. I refuse yeah. to believe that somebody could manage to write a thing that doesn't inherently uh, have messages that they want that that are part of who they are. And I think and I think that's fair. But Mishima's entire purpose in life is to make his art and his life this, into one right. thing. Right. And absolutely. And his writing <laughs> I don't Let's be very clear Mishima here. Mishima himself writing, does not about. want you to separate Mishima from his writing. Right. Absolutely. And, right. Totally, so, and 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 more to that effect, Mishima makes has made had made countless statements <laughs> about the way he wants his art interpreted, and they're all super fascistic, um, <laughs> right? And and he almost all of his public statements have some element of fascism inherent to them uh, that I've encountered in the last few days, and and combine that with the fact that. Um, especially the later works as his life progresses, the works are very clearly fascist or works of fascist fiction in, right. in that like the early ones can, can't really tell, but just any red description of any of his works, especially the latter half of his works are on fascistic themes. Very, very clearly. This is a person who is obsessed writ large tried to reenact and make real once more an attempted coup on the government that a, a failed right. attempted coup on the government who, that sole express purposes was of course he has taken a very high-minded approach to what was essentially an infighting among various generals and right, groups right. in in a in an army that was you know, fascist armies tend to have a lot of infighting. It's a thing. Um, 
it, but he's elevated it to like, oh, they were just trying to restore the 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 importance and quality of the emperor in our society right. or whatever. That's all. That's all super fascistic impulse, right. and that's like his favorite story yeah. in the world. It comes up yeah. all the time. The right. fucking February twenty sixth of incident is like his favorite thing in the whole world. Right. Right. So uh, another thing I I sort of appreciate about Schrader's approach here is say you know we get we get Mishima himself and uh, and his characters you know complaining about the capitalization of Japan right uh, of about it being about all of the problems of Japan being being capitalism <laughs> and and it's. Uh, outmoded influence in in the modern society. Uh, so we get that, and we get the the leftist student revolt, which mm-hmm. is also anti capitalist by its very yeah. nature. And and Schrader has them interact, and the left wing guys are like, "Shut up, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're an idiot. Go away." Uh, and of course, uh, to its detriment, then I think. Um, Schrader has has Mashima get the last word in that yeah. interaction, though, right? And Mashima says, "Well, we're all playing with the same cards. I just have the Joker, the Emperor, um, <laughs> to call the Emperor the Joker." You know, well, obviously, it's meant Joker's wild, but but at the same time, you know, I think it's it's uh, well, and and keep it's, him- an, it's an underpinning uh, a a subtext of what what Schrader's trying to say right. here too, right? But but even to that extent, I don't know that it's Schrader's place to make that commentary. Right. on Japanese nationalism well, and too, also, right? Well, also, I'm worried that, like, it, it doesn't, it misses part of the point because the most leftist organizations in Japan have traditionally, like, it's interesting because Schrader doesn't talk about this, and that and that's kind of a problem, right. but, like, Mishima's statement is irrelevant to the leftists of Japan, who are all right. also anti-imperial. <laughs> right. Like, they right. don't give a flying fuck about the emperor. Not right. relevant to the right. conversation, say, and we don't say, get because right. the, keep in mind the the leftist student organizations are not translated at all. Right, none of their cries, none of no selected bits of their cries, not a content. Yeah. Again, we get summarized. a little bit at the beginning where he we says not the one says not only, uh, not only is what you're saying untrue, it's not logical. I think right. is what he says. Um, right, and then, but, but but then for the rest of the time, all we get is Mishima sort of responding to them. So it's only Mishima right. statements, right? And right. and what it gives the what it fails to do is provide, and this is a minor quibble, I guess, but not to me. <laughs> it prevails. It pr- fails to provide any context, and I guess as far as Mishima is concerned, it's also irrelevant. But like, so maybe Schrader's like, well, he doesn't care what they're saying anyway. But the reality of the matter is, is that like it doesn't provide any context to understand that like Mishima is a joke to these people, right? Like he right. is a weird, dangerous, outmoded relic of an ideology that yeah. should have never existed in the first place and is an abomination right. Right. of itself. And that's uh, that's where I think the movie gets complicated, or Schrader's relationship to the material, because Schrader, you know, he points out that he's laughed at by the leftists and he's laughed at by the military that I guess should be supporting a coup by its nature. Maybe. I don't know. Well, anyway, I mean, but he's I, laughed I, I don't at by know. Them the too. thing about the, 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 the military laughing at him is a, is apparently factual, but yeah. I get, and it is factual, right? But you get the impression. It's hard to tell 
it's hard to say why. It may also just be because it's just a patently ridiculous yeah. thing to do. Right. They may, right. they may, we don't know whether they, it's because of ideology, which it's probably, it may or may not be. Right. Or if it's just that, like, what the fuck are you doing right now? <laughs> right. Like, right. you interrupted our lunch to make us do this? Right. And, and, you know, to, in, <laughs> to that end, historically and within the film, the military had already been coddling Absolutely. his little private army, right? Yeah, which um, is, which is factual, which is true to reality. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know to to end the movie um with him as that laughing stock and failure uh would be great in how I want you know we already talked about how we want the movie right. to end right um it's how I want this man to be remembered but but it's not Schrader's not out to make a movie that no one cares to see, right? right? And he's even complained that it's never aired in Japan where he feels it would be popular because the mainstream media won't talk about Mishima at all and he's uh person non grata there. Um which again is which is, is, is <laughs> if not accurate of right? not of uh, right. is not accurate, yeah. but <laughs> right, right. So so you know he he made this movie wanting it to be seen and he didn't make this movie to convince people that Mishimo was not a person to be listened to because his major complaint is that he views Japan as already seeing Mishima as someone not to be listened right. to. And that's why they haven't watched his movie. Right. So, so that can't be what his point is. Right. So yeah, it's just, I mean, I, and that's what I think is I I agree I think but and that has been part of my issue is that I think Paul Schrader doesn't know what he wants in this right. movie, um, or because that's the generous reading because the the not generous reading is that Paul Schrader feels some amount of like sympathy and kinship towards this person, which right. is the not nice reading of this right 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 i mean i listen i don't want to equate mishima with hitler no no, no. i i but, bring him up only but if someone were to make hitler. a movie like this about hitler that was even upfront about the atrocities of his time and power but wanted to start us off with uh failed artist uh son of a single mother didn't know his dad uh and like like go through this process of explaining all of the life events that got Hitler to the position ideologically of who he was. Right. We would rightly condemn that movie. Right. And, and even if it did it with, with, you know, any lesser terror, mass murderer or whatnot. Um, and that's ultimately what this is. Mishima is a wannabe mass murderer. Absolutely. Like, what what like he, his, his that's his plan here. Right. Like right? his ultimate goal and like and like a thing that I I wanted to find time about and I've done it before. We've done it a little bit in in talks with with Donovan and things like that before is yeah. is a thing that I desperately want to do and our podcast doesn't really have a place for this is to like really dig into what modern nationalistic ideology in Japan looks like in terms of like the sort of cognitive dissonance that has to be present right. to make right. it work. So 
this is a person who is obs- is is obsessed with a coup attempt that was again as we talked about internal squabbling pretty much in a already super fascistic nationalist uh imperialistic right right uh group that bo- that like but he's become obsessed with the idea that their goal was to restore the emperor to his greatness mind you that throughout history since like the like the I want to say like the 1200s or even earlier the the emperor has been very little more than a than a pawn that gets moved from group to group to give them authenticity right. as to right. having the will of the people of Japan in mind. Uh, the the um, yeah the various shogunates did this. Uh, the Japanese the Meiji the Meiji Restoration was couched in we're restoring the emperor to greatness because the shogunate has yeah. failed us and they don't really have the true. Ideal, you know, they don't represent the emperor in a true way. Um, very, the, the the rise of Japanese nationalism and fascism was the same way. The military is quote unquote like taking the, you know, really truly represents the emperor. It's always that, okay, because it's like, and and, and other countries that have kings and stuff have done the same thing throughout history, right? Like, it, it's not a specific to Japan thing, but um, you know, he the. So his ideology, it, it, it gets really fascinating to me, and this is a thing that I I try to unpack whenever we watch a movie like this, but especially this movie, and uh, it's not really relevant to the movie per se, but like his ideology simultaneously wants to restore the emperor to greatness, uh, right. which is like there is always the thing, but wants to do it by being a sort of modern avatar avatar of the samurai. Who are most notor- are most noted for downplaying the role of the emperor as much as humanly possible in society because they took power from the imperial line and put it in the hands of the army, which is the the which right. turned into the shogunate. Like, uh, so like you already got this sort of mixed messaging, right? Like this sort of weird internal disc- disconnect where it's like, well, I need to be a samurai because that's the true Japanese spirit. Who are also the people who tried to downplay the role of the emperor as much as humanly possible it gets very confused and then like it's uh, it, what it turns into is a sort of ideology of death right where it's like the highest representation of this mythologicalized version of the samurai is the way they choose to die which is ritualistic suicide except for ritualistic suicide for most well okay it doesn't even get the way it gets codified later on is kind of ridiculous. The Japanese, the the samurai, the shogunate has to ban it because people won't fucking stop doing it for no damn reason. And they keep right. running out of samurai because they won't stop it. <laughs> so it was actually illegal for most of the Edo era, which is sort of the touchstone samurai era in most of the minds of nationalists because that's the one that like all the writing is about. Um, you know, it, it's just this like, crazy, it's like, Imagine uh, the thing I the analogy I thought of in my head while I was doing dishes yesterday was, and then I realized it was accurate, and I was like, "Oh shit! Oh no, this is real everywhere," which I already kind of knew. Was imagine that um, you were a, decided to build <laughs> your 
entire nationalistic ideology of like let's say Norway on like and then I re- this is where I realized like oh shit this is what happens everywhere on like made up stories about like Nordic gods right I was like ah son of a bitch that's what happens everywhere and 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 as it turns out uh, even in Norway it's uh, English speaking foreigners who do the bulk of the work exactly it, 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 and what it becomes with the English speaking foreigners is a is it it's it by removing the extra layer of context. One is freed from the need to understand the society as anything other than an ideological touchstone. Right. You're freed from seeing them as people, and you're free to just say, look at this perfect gem of the ideology that I think is correct. Right, right. And it's... You're right to say it happens everywhere, particularly particularly in in the West and Western influence, but but in Japan oh, too. Oh yeah, I mean know, it's hardcore. The Vikings here. and the sh- the Vikings, the the uh, samurai, the cowboys. It's all it's all the same deal, right? Right, and it's all it's all about this this false idea of manhood too. Right, right? absolutely. I mean um, everything everything that we're dealing with Mishima is actually based on. Is, he is a. As a living, uh, non-living now, but like avatar of of what of uh, like toxic masculinity, right? Like this, like it's just eating right, him alive. Right. Yeah, and of course, the last time, uh, the February twenty sixth is is that yeah, right? the, twi- the February twenty sixth incident. incident. Yeah, the the last time the February twenty sixth incident uh, really came up for us was with uh, fighting elegy. Which is uh, yeah. another yep. movie that that specifically is out to say no, this is bad, right? Well, um, and that's a that's right? a fascinating thing, right? Because this is like these these forces are directly interacting with each other, right? Right. Like fighting elegy is contemporaneous with Mishima, right? Like fighting elegy came out in '66, exactly. So absolutely, and, yes. and like, and this is a person saying, "What the fuck, people? What are we doing <laughs> right. here? This is insane, right?" Right, uh, <laughs> Suzuki Ed Mishima's number. Yeah, pretty hard. <laughs> I just don't definitely didn't pick up. Well, yeah, um, I mean, we yeah, but, exactly. But like, and, and oh man, this is like, ah, uh, this is it's so hard to focus on the movie. I'm sorry because this has just right. been no, a it's really fine. intense like week, um, because of this and other things. But like, um. The other thing we've kind of run into is that, like, I, I brought this up before, but, like, think about it. Mishima is coddled by the military to allow, to have a private army. Right. In real life. Yeah. The, the Japanese government's response to other non-nationalistic private armies was to go on police beating rampages. Absolutely. Uh, like... Specifically, if we start talking about like those leftist organizations, those student organizations, the Japanese government response to that is historically notorious for how violent it was. Um, it, it is it it's it's almost hard to couch with like what people see as modern Japanese society, how intensely violent the police were towards uh, student leftists. Okay, uh, but. And, and and but it's important to understand that Mishima's privilege there is not based solely on his classification as a right wing nationalist. It's part of it because the Japanese government has always 
by design by the United States government in a lot of ways, <laughs> has always been a hard uh, right leaning right group. Like and and the media tends to reflect that as well. Like when we look at somebody like Suzuki or something, they are a weird outlier of a time period. Uh, the Japanese film industry is more liberal than most other organizations have been like, but like nonetheless, it is, you know, this is a society that tends to reward people who speak to nationalistic desires. Okay. Like a majority of a fairly high percentage of the population of the people in politics who have power are right wing nationalists. They're just better at hiding it than the ones who shout with megaphones on the side of streets, um, right? But but like, so it's not. But it's not just that ideology. It is his entire life has been designed to let him do shit like that. And and, and then if you start seeing it, like, I hate to like crib a phrase from the worst people in America, but there is a sort of echo. There, he definitely is a participant in an echo chamber of Japanese society that like told him that these things were good and like emphasized how good his work was when when i i i am a strong proponent that like there are a million brilliant artists at all times in the universe who are just completely ignored by society right like right they just always exist and like this is the one that gets brought to forefront because this is the one that this is that the sort of the nascent japanese aristocracy and all the sort of political systems in Japan want to come to surface. Right. But, like, right. would he be famous if he were not all the things that, like, the the Wikipedia takes way too much time talking about uh, with regards to, like, his family history and stuff? Probably not. Like, dude went to the best schools in Japan. Went to the one that – went to the school that literally was built to educate children of – the imperial line yeah all these things like we're talking like the biggest most silver spoon humanly possible but a majority of his work seems to be obsessed with how everything's not fair to like this is that everything's bad like like it's nihilism right and it's like but it's not even like the the fun anarchist nihilism it's, it's not the, even the good nihilism it's, it's, yeah basically <laughs> it's not even the one that tells you to like you know like be nice to other people and stuff um right it, it, it's like i i, I just I, I don't know it's like it's and then when you start looking at it and you start like drawing parallels to like modern america and like the right-wing movement in america where you have like People going on Fox News telling saying things like the media is so unfair to us. Right. Go re it, it, I don't know. It's like if Dinesh D'Souza or whatever that guy's name is became literally one of the most famous writers in American history. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> I can't deal with yeah. this. I I just want to go lay down. <laughs> Well, maybe it's time. For I don't know. I mean, that. I don't know how long this we've podcast got, is. We've got plenty more to talk about with him next week, I'm sure. Uh, and yeah. uh, 
And considering the break, it'll probably be a bit of a rehash. So I apologize for that in advance. Yeah, for um, real. Like I'm not. Well, the difference is, is we we're actually going to get to talk directly about a Mishima work, right. yeah, rather than talking about a like third hand sort of interpretation right, right. of Mishima, which is, you know, again, like did Paul. Schrader do like a lot of really beautiful cinematography and stuff in this film and, and oh yeah are, yeah there are a lot of beautiful ideas exhibited in this movie and chalk that up a lot to set design and, and oh yeah and costuming in the uh, particularly in the the narrative pieces of of the short stories um, I, I was yeah, really impressed by a lot of stuff I was impressed by how much of the like sort of production of this film was actual Japanese people and not like Right, because like if you watch like other American he, films he, filmed in Amer- in Japan, it can get a little bit. He did try to fire most of the Japanese. Oh, staff did he? At one point though, that's because funny. he thought they worked too slow. Um, I I didn't. I literally never opened the Wikipedia page for the actual yeah. film, which is I think uh, a fascinating interestingly thing. the the movie was co written by Schrader's brother and Schrader's brother's wife. Right. Uh, who is uh, uh, who is a Japanese national? As far as right, I and I, I when I first saw that, I was like, I wonder, yeah. I wonder what's going on here. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't have so, a Wikipedia yeah. page, so I'll never know. <laughs> right, she doesn't. Um, despite being a film writer, like at least yeah. once. Schrader's Schrader's brother moved to Japan to teach English. Uh, or to teach, period, not necessarily English, uh, by ways to avoid a draft. So you, you and him have a lot of a lot in right, common, right. don't you? Um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, didn't return until he was 28 in order to be uh, ineligible from the draft. I wonder if she has a Japanese Wikipedia page. Well, let's find out. During his time in Japan, he met his future wife. Uh, even Even that sentence... Calls her Chieko Schrader, <laughs> right? No, yeah, I mean yeah. that's so, I'm 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 currently hunting. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I I I was curious about that mainly because, in many ways, Paul Schrader and and Leonard Schrader, his brother, have the same luxury that those people we were talking about before have. Of being able to totally decontextualize this right. figure, right? Like they're not, they don't. Th- he's not a person they actually have to deal with. You know I mean, like dead or not, right? Like a person, a Japanese person talking about this person has to deal with his place in a society in which they live, right? And they don't. They just don't have to. It's not a thing that is a th- that they have to consider. Right. To the point where like they get mm-hmm. like surprised that they get death threats and stuff. Right. Like they, it, it doesn't even sort of get hit home until they even have to remotely interact with that society. Right. Um, and so my point being that like. Chieko and then I don't even know what her maiden name is because I can't find it anywhere. Right. Does at least in some way. Right. Like even if she's like living not in Japan anymore and all it's still 
a functional part of her society mm. and the society she grew up with, which means she does have to place this care this person into into cultural context, which brings up the question like, what's her deal? Like I would hey, here's, really love to know. Here's a sentence from the admittedly English translation of Leonard Schrader's Japanese uh, Wikipedia page. He also was a he also has a close friendship with Yokio Mishima. Uh, see, that's what I and, I kind of and wrote the movie as an homage to him. Yeah, and then my guess was, yeah, see, and that's interesting. It, okay, boy, man, we are not going to be able to let this go. That's what all of the Wikipedia page about Mishima reads like. All the yeah. sources are like things that his friends wrote about him. Yeah. They're all like, and then you get into this sort of like thing, and it's like, well, the Wikipedia is a direct reflection of this crazy echo chamber that existed around him Right. That wasn't built for him, but he functioned inside of. We're like, because Lord knows the American government and the British government like have always sort of liked having a fairly right wing leaning Japanese media and government because it's it, it matches with the end goals and game and game plan right. of the American imperial effort well. Right? And like, especially as it applies to the Cold War and things like that, it it's like it literally all the thing, all the information. I I ended up like following like and hunting for like half the sources in the in the Mishima thing, and they're like almost exclusively articles written by friends of his. Right. And it's like, well, this is not useful information. This is all like this is how you. This is literally. In front of me, the method by which you mythologize some a person yeah. and turn them into something that you want yeah. that suits your needs, right? Yeah, I was on the Japanese language Wikipedia article because I was trying to see if they had information on Chieko's mm-hmm. uh, life, and they did not. Yeah, no, there's nothing um, there. But but the relationship with Mishima is also mentioned in the English language uh, version of that uh, of Leonard's. Uh, Wikipedia page and according to that he spent the entire 70s the decade after Mishima's suicide attempting to wrangle the rights to write a screenplay about the man's life right so this is a a long project uh put on by <laughs> a friend of Mishima Right, uh, a personal friend of Mishima, who eventually gets it made with the help of his brother and his brother's powerful friends, and that's something we really can't ignore either. Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas are executive producers on this, right? And like, I've seen Star Wars, and I've heard George Lucas talk about the Empire in yep. Star Wars, and I understand George Lucas's politics there and they're good right george lucas frames the uh the empire as america in conversations about his purpose in writing uh (laughs) star wars so what's george lucas's purpose in 1984 in executive producing this movie well and i think we get back to the thing we were talking about before is it it just like coppola like coppola 
Schrader's his friend, I guess. So is this just a... I think it's probably a friendship thing. And again, the ability to decontextualize right. a person because you, it has no and bearing on your life to promote the ideology, to even accidentally promote the ideology right. of this person. You know what and I mean? Like, yeah, George Lucas very clearly was pretty into like like Japan, Japanese samurai and things like that. That was a thing. <laughs> Definitely into Japan. Yeah. I mean, like one only has to like watch yeah. any of his movies. Um, but like especially people in the elite sort of upper echelons of things like American society and, and have the ability to do to say things like, oh, well, I mean, we can separate the man's work and his and who he is. And you, they get because they can say like they can just completely remove the context. It's just not relevant to them. I'm sure Paul Schrader asked. They have money. George Lucas is into into Japan. He may right. or may not be super aware of the politics of this person anyway. And even and if he is, he doesn't have to give a shit. Doesn't affect him in any way. That's an interesting aspect of this. How much of this movie getting made? is just a series of people calling in favors for a friend or eventually a brother. I'm sure right? a ton of it. I'm sure a ton of it. Yeah. And I think it's now, lack of theatrical release in Japan plays into that because right. those favors all exist in a sphere that is entirely American and Western. Right. And right. with enough isn't... pool with somebody like Francis Ford Coppola, with enough pool to get it made in Japan, but maybe not enough pool to like, Right. have it come into reality in Japan without like I don't know right. everybody right. getting murdered this isn't the last emperor this isn't the Japanese uh, uh, government offering a western director a chance to make a movie about a Japanese person right everyone involved with the background of this is a westerner <laughs> some of who whom probably actually do know movie. who Mishima is but know him as right. that like eccentric right Japanese writer right. who's very famous that they maybe read a short right. story of or something. And came to a bad end because he went a little crazy or something. Right, which is such a romantic and fun story for like anybody who's like, right. I need to write a story right. about a writer. Like, never mind the fact right. that like the reason he came to a bad end is absolutely just the worst possible thing on earth. Right, right. That's irrelevant yeah. because it's, it's, it's air quotes yeah. kind of romantic anyway, right? And and Leonard had his own career as screenwriter. I don't right. want to downplay his career. He he wrote plenty of movies, some, um, and directed even. Right. Uh, Naked Tango in nineteen ninety one. He he directed himself, um, but he he wrote quite a bit uh, with and without Paul. So, you know, there's that. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's he even he actually even wrote uh, he wrote a Japanese film. Yeah, um, I was looking at that. Yeah. The Man Who Stole the Sun, uh, which won the Japanese equivalent of Best Picture. In yeah, I would be interested uh, to... I This is interesting yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. But, yeah, it's... It's a hard movie to swallow because it is a movie that is as we've said, impossible to separate from the politics of the person the movie is about. Mm. And that is beyond arguments 
about death of the author and whether or not it's okay to separate someone from the art. It is certainly not okay when the artist themselves says, no, right. I am inseparable from my art. Right. And then, especially so, when you add that extra meta even layer. Even unto being death. A, especially <laughs> when you add that extra meta layer of it being about the artist and not a work by right. the artist, right? Like, Right. We right. don't need we don't need to separate them because this is a story about this person, not a story yeah. made written by this person. Right. So So yeah. Uh this has been us talking about Mishima Alike yeah. in four chapters from nineteen eighty five, directed and co written by Paul Schrader, co written with his brother Leonard and Leonard's wife Chieko. Uh it's something next week we will continue in the same vein uh but go further into the fire yep deeper uh, into the by hole. watching a, watching a movie written and directed by mishima himself adapted from a mishima short story called patriotism from 1966 we saw a little bit of it uh being filmed as part of this movie uh and also actually the uh it's my understanding, and we'll confirm this after we watch this, certainly, that the replacement suicide, because the realistic, actual real-life suicide was too barbaric and dumb. Right. Um, uh, the replacement suicide method uh, and action, not method, I mean, it's the same method, it's just successful instead of failed, um, but uh, borrows from the end of patriotism. I wouldn't be it's, surprised about that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, but yeah, so we absolutely don't look forward to that. Nope. Not uh, even a little bit, but we'll do it. Cause that's what we signed up for, I guess. Yep. Sometimes <laughs> this, this podcast thing. physically actually punishes us. <laughs> right. Right. I cannot remember in our entire time of recording this, me less looking forward to well, our next episode. No, I mean, especially since this this film itself provides prelude for right. the next one right. in a real, very right. real way. And right. I, I think I was thinking about when we were, before we were recording, I was thinking about this today, is the fact that this, we have dealt in this podcast with politically unpleasant, socially unpleasant things and, and, and Specifically, but the only times I've been truly repulsed by films was usually by their sort of uh, an actual physical grotesquerie to the film, right? Like right, I'm thinking right. about Solo or something. Again, and even those I've kind of grown beyond in many ways. This film was the person it involved was so grotesque to me f- that I found the experience repulsive. Right. And now I got to do it again. Yeah, next week will be worse. Another circle. Uh, anyway, thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Hotard Dorgan. And we'll see you again. Bye. Bye.
to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Class, who edited it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.BandCamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. It's Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. We'd appreciate it.